Thank you for tuning in to episode 10 of Adversity University, and welcome to class. Today's episode, we have special guest Pat Bingham. Garrett and I were very fortunate to play for Pat growing up. We first met him when he moved to Colorado when we were 16 years old, but we get more into that in the actual interview. But Pat's been a great mentor for us, and he's really helped us follow our dream because he coached at the highest level. So he knows what it takes to get there, and we really respect him as a person. And talking to him, we got to learn a lot, a lot more, and I feel way closer to him now than we did before. Garrett, how do you think this interview went? Yeah, I thought it was good, and uh, like you mentioned, um, I think we grew a lot co uh, closer to Coach Pat. For those of you that know Coach Pat, or to give you a little bit of context, Coach Pat is more of a reserved type of guy. He doesn't really, you know, talk about his feelings or um, really speak a whole lot in conversations unless it's one-on-one. -on -one. If it's a group setting, he chimes in occasionally, um, but it's never with a whole lot of detail unless you're asking him specifically about stuff so it was really cool for us to see someone that we knew you know as a coach and talk to him on a more personal level and get to know his story um, and connect with him more personally I didn't think he was going to open up as much as he did um, I'm really glad that he did I think you guys are going to really enjoy hearing Pat's story and uh, what an amazing one it is he's one of those people who takes a pause before he responds he doesn't just say the first thing that's on his head he really chooses words carefully and like you said, he is more reserved. So it was awesome to hear everything that he's gone through and how he overcame it. And we really can't thank him enough for how he's helped us on our journeys and for joining us on the episode today. Yeah, really well-spoken guy too. So uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed it as much as we did. Let's throw it on over to Pat Bingham. For all you listeners out there that don't know where Garrett and I began our hockey journey, it was with the Colorado Rampage, where a list of other notable alumni also began their career as young student athletes. The Colorado Rampage AAA hockey program is currently accepting registrations for their tryouts and identification camps to find elite players and people looking to play AAA hockey and take their career to the next level. The Rampage play in the Tier 1 Elite League, which is one of the best AAA leagues in the country. This is where your players will get to showcase their skill in front of scouts for the best junior teams, colleges, and even professional teams in North America. We would encourage anyone between the ages of 12 and 18 who are looking for a place to develop and start their hockey career the same way we did to send an email to play AAA at coloradorampage.org to get more information. That's P-L-A-Y-A-A-A at C-O-R-A-M-P-A-G-E dot org. You can also visit their website at www.corampage.com. Be better today than you were yesterday and join the herd. Today's guest played seven years of professional hockey spanning across five leagues. The American Hockey League, East Coast Hockey League, Colonial Hockey League, Sunshine Hockey League, and the Southern Hockey League. In his major junior career, he was traded from future uh, NHL Hall of Famer Mark Recchi. His eventual next destination was professional coaching, which he did from 1999 through 2012, most prominently in the American Hockey League and East Coast Hockey League, where he won the John Brophy Award for Coach of the Year. He won an ECHL championship as a player and a CHL championship as a coach. He currently is the president of the Colorado Rampage Hockey Association and serves as a full-time coach for the Monument Hockey Academy. In his younger days, he also was a decorated competitive swimmer and pitched two two-hitters and a no-hitter in the Canadian Little League Championship. We are very excited to be joined by Pat Bingham. 
Thanks for coming on, Coach. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. This is, uh, tables have turned a little bit, huh? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you're, you're from Canada. You grew up in Vancouver, B.C. Um, you know, Canada's known for hockey, so what, what got you started into hockey in your younger days? Um, I just think it's what you did, you know. Back in those days, um, where I came from, Vancouver, is actually... Like it was a big city, but it was a small big city. It wasn't the metropolis that it is now. And, you know, there wasn't a ton of things to do. I guess it was just the seasonal sport, and it's what you did. You went to your local um, ice rink, and, and it's really a community center. You know, Canada's government is more more of a, I guess, socialist, not in the sense that the negative word that you hear about sometimes. You know, there's socialized medicine. And there's uh, recreation centers in every neighborhood. So the, our little area had uh, a local rink and a local gym and a local swimming pool. So in the wintertime, you were just you're Canadian. You just had your hockey gear and you went to play hockey. Yeah. You were a very good swimmer and a very good baseball player. Was there some of that social pressure being Canadian? Is that why you chose hockey overall? Yeah, there was no pressure, but that's exactly right. Like, you know, I, I was just one of those multi-sport whatever the season was that was the sport you played and um you know you want your kids to to be comfortable in the water and i don't know why it started out as a competitive thing but i was in the water and in the pool at a very young age as was my brother and sister and again it was just the local community center had a swim team a summer swim team it wasn't like a year-round deal it was just in the summertime and i was terrible when i first got started um people you know the the, the timers uh, used to like go for the joke they'd go for a cup of coffee or whatever and, and come back and I'd still be like making the turn you know so um, but it was funny it's just like things that I know now about coaching it's like it just takes a little while um, you know for the, for the body and for the brain to wire for different um, mechanisms you know like the bilateral coordination uh, that that's necessary for swimming and I, it was almost like overnight where it just kind of kicked in and I went from being one of the worst ones on the pool to one of the best ones. And then obviously when you're good at something, you like it, you want to do it all the time. So um, I really enjoyed my, my summer swimming, my competitive swimming years. I did it till I was about 12 and I was, I was one of the best uh, all around swimmers um, in summer swimming. There was a winter and you know, maybe a little bit more commitment. There was different kind of swimming as well, but um, I really enjoyed it and I was one of the best swimmers in the province. It's funny you say that because I was just talking to my dad last night. He was a swimmer as well. And he said that his breaststroke was so bad, the coach would joke that he would measure his time splits with a calendar. Yeah, exactly. So, exactly. Um, I'm sure they would want to hear, what was your best stroke? Uh, I was a butterflyer. Okay. I mean, Michael I... Phelps. Yeah, I won the, like, the aggregate. I was, at a young age, I was, like, I didn't have any one weakness, but that was the one that I was, like, setting records in the pool. And it probably is the most difficult one. Um, in terms of getting that timing down and that finding that, that rhythm to that stroke. But it was just, you know, I think the distances too. I've just always been that kind of athlete where I'm not a, I'm not a, um, a long distance endurance type of athlete. Like I've got an older brother, he's a little smaller than me, and he could just run for days and days and swim for days and days, and I couldn't. But I was fast off the mark. I, you know, I was just like an explosive type of athlete. Same thing with being a hockey player. I couldn't stay out there any longer than 30 or 40 seconds, but I could go fast in, in that short burst. So, yeah, I was a butterflyer. So getting into your hockey, uh, a lot of people don't really know, but there's two primary routes for North American players to try and make it professionally. 
Uh, the first route is Major Junior, so that's made up of the top three leagues in Canada, where players can make a little bit of spending money and you're treated more like professionals right away. But because you're compensated, you lose your NCAA eligibility. The other route is to play regular junior hockey, not Major Junior. You are not paid for this, but you can develop and hopefully get a chance to be recruited by an NCAA school and earn your degree while still playing hockey in college. Why did you decide to play Major Junior? Yeah, um, the plan all along growing up, and it was just kind of the family um, mantra, it was to get good grades and go play college hockey, you know, Division One college hockey in the U.S. In Canada, it was a good caliber of hockey, the, the, the Canadian college hockey route, but um, really it, was, it, it wasn't the route. It was just at that age. It was just becoming, um, you know, a, a very... Uh, relevant route to the to, to getting drafted in the NHL was to play college hockey in the US. Um, so that was the plan all along. And then, um, you know, I don't know how deep the dive we want to go here. But as I started to get closer to that age, um, I had an older brother, I had a friend who had an older brother, my best friend's older brother had played in the Western League just the year before and he was a draft pick like a sixth or seventh round draft pick. And that was somebody for me to kind of gauge where I was at. And I was always, you know, just either the same or a little bit better than him. So suddenly I thought, you know, the Western Hockey League was the way to go. And, um, you know, there was a little bit of friction at home with, with, with between my, myself and my father. Just kind of a tough atmosphere growing up. So the combination of those two things, I just wanted to get out of the house and, and you know, to be able to chase an NHL dream and, and try to make money and make a career out of it. It just went instantly like overnight from wanting to stay at home and 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 play tier two uh, junior hockey and go the college route and see how that would go um to like let's go for it and i was out of the house at 16 years old yeah and you mentioned the nhl draft too so the first year you were draft eligible there was an experimental draft for uh you know first time draft eligible players and it only spanned uh three rounds you were told that there was a possibility you would be selected but you were not the following year, the draft was back uh, to its regular length, um, and you were again told you'd be selected, and you weren't. What were your feelings, and how did you use this as uh, you know this frustrating situation as motivation? Well, at that age, you you know you're exactly right. At that age, it was it was devastating to me. So you you know you're coming into your draft year. It was my second year now because um, I played in the Western Hockey League as a 16 year old, and there weren't very many that that played in the league at that age. So. Um, I was getting some attention and, uh, you know, going into my draft year as a returning player. Uh, and you're right, that was the first year that they went from, I think, a full 12 rounds um, to three rounds for first year eligible draft picks. Um, at the end of that year, I had, a, you know, I had a huge improvement. I went from scoring, uh, I think, three goals or four goals my first year to scoring 23 or 24 goals, something like that. Um, you know, big spike in my production and, and, and my skill level. You know, I was very athletic. I was strong and I was fast and I was physical and I was aggressive. And, you know, I didn't play with a lot of fear, you know. I, so um, I was athletic and competitive, but I didn't have a lot of skill, a lot of finish. You know, and I, I think back about it, it was probably because of all that multi-sport stuff. I mean, I was athletic, which was great. And that's what, you know, kind of got me there and got me the look. But when I got to the Western League, the, the skill level of some of the guys, the things they could do with the puck and the way they could shoot it and the moves they could make and how they thought the game and everything, it was a real eye-opener for me. So 
I worked really hard on it um, in the off season, came back, like I said, scored those 23 goals, I think it was. And, um, you know, uh, and this will probably tie in. I, I didn't mention to this, this to you guys before, but, um, you know, in my draft year, my coach wanted me to be like, just be tough and just run guys and fight guys and, you know, drive the net. He had no interest. He wasn't a good coach. He had no interest in me, me developing as a player. And then on the other side, and this will tie in too to the youth thing, but on the other side, so now my father's in my ear all the time about how I need to score and don't listen to your coach and do what you need to do. And so there was a like a tug of war and I was the one right in the middle of a tug of war. And, um, you know, somebody that had been watching me with the Philadelphia Flyers, a scout, watching me very closely for a number of years, um, he told me that that the Flyers were going to take me. He had a pick, and he was they were going to take me in the seventh or eighth round. And, you know, the tension between my father, the, myself, the coach, that, that whole thing, I ended up quitting the team um, in my draft year and still expecting that, you know, for Philly to follow through and take me with that pick. And then I obviously became a controversial decision, and I was not a draft pick. Um, I did get invited as a free agent to their camp, uh, you know, at that, that training camp, but you know, it, it kind of set the wheels in motion. You know, it's like, is this guy, does he have a good attitude? Does he have a bad attitude? Who quits? Who quits hockey in their draft year? I hear the old man is crazy. Um, he's hard to coach all these kinds of things I think haunted me for a few years as a young person, young player. Um, and that there was a lot of, obviously like there was a lot of inner turmoil there. So to go two years in your draft and your draft eligible years and not get drafted, um, there was some, there were some tough times there. Obviously I doubted myself. I doubted my relationship with my father and what I needed to do in order to pursue my goals. So there was, there was a lot of, um, tough times there and, and a lot of soul searching. And, and as a young person, it was really, I mean, I, looking back on it now, I would say it took me until my playing days were over before I was really able to analyze it and put it in its place. And by that time, obviously, you know, that, that window had closed. What were some of the things you did during that time? I know now with hindsight, um, you can kind of look back on it. But during that time, what were some things you did to kind of take care of yourself and take care of that relationship with your father? Um, yeah, the, the, the relationship with my father, it's, it's like um, it's really not there anymore. I mean, I wrote him a letter one day. Um, when I was a young man about to get married and I just, you know, I, I let him know all my thoughts, all my feelings. I unburdened myself, but it wasn't really an attack. It was just more to, to get some closure there and told him that I loved him. Um, but I needed to be my own man. I need to make my own decisions and chart my own path in my life and that kind of thing. So this isn't, I mean, it's no excuse for me not achieving the highest levels in hockey, but it is a reality that these were things that happened to me. And you know now as a as a youth hockey coach and administrator and all this other stuff, it's very difficult for, you know, for me I guess um, cognitively, but also like emotionally to really see when parents have good intentions, but they're really, um, you know, they're really hurting the process with their kids, you know, hockey development or just relationship with with their children, you know, placing hockey and and their desire for their kids to achieve in front of the relationship. So. Um, it, it's things that I've spent, I don't know, thousands, let's say thousands of hours. And, and I've become somebody that's like really, um, 
you know, this has become a passion of mine, like how to coach and how to handle these situations and, and how to help the kids through them so that, you know, on the other side that, that they're still healthy and happy and um, that hockey stands them in good stead for the rest of their lives. So you think it's really important to almost be a father figure at the rink just in case those things aren't going well? Yeah, no question. I try to pay attention to these things. You know, and then when you when you recognize that a kid is maybe not listening, or he's not applying what you're teaching to the best of his ability, I, instead of just blaming the kid or seeing it just coming from the kid, I try to look at it holistically and see where it's really coming from, and I try to attack it from different angles to see if we can find a way to keep that kid on track, um, to to make sure his development is continuing and his mindset is growing and he's learning to become a good team player and a coachable player and person. Um, and if that takes like, you know, meeting with parents and, and trying to um, educate, inform, collaborate, all that kind of stuff, I'm willing to put in all that kind of time and effort because, you know, the kids, that's like you're only young once and, you know, this window to play is uh, and play it and achieve your goals at the highest level. It's like that window's closing all the time. So you have to keep hitting, in my opinion, you have to keep hitting these certain milestones. You have to keep showing, you know, de development on the ice, but also growth in the person. Um, they have to continue to grow in the right direction and not have these, um, these things hanging over their head, which is really going to help or hurt them from achieving their goals. Yeah, that's one thing that Coach Sherman would always preach to us when we were playing here at the Rampage is the window of opportunity. And you need people who have been through that process to let you know that, you know, time is closing. Because when you're a kid, you don't even realize that, wow, I've played 12 and under, 16 and under, 18 and under. You just think it's going to go forever. So it's really important that you're helping people out and showing them that this process does have a time limit and that while you want to have fun, like, you got to work hard to accomplish your goals. So Yeah, no question. I think it's good that you attacked the parent side, too, of it because I was very fortunate and lucky enough that my dad was around hockey growing up, and a lot of these kids – don't have parents that were around hockey growing up. So they face similar situations that you did when you were a younger kid where they have the coach telling them one thing and they have the, the parent telling them another. And they're so young, they can't really consciously make d decisions for themselves. So they get stuck on what, you know, what side to go into. And a lot of times they side with their parents just because, you know, that's family, that's who they've grown up listening to, all that stuff. And I'm sure as a coach, you've dealt with that firsthand now. And I'm sure that can be very frustrating. Yeah, frustrating um, when you see it coming a mile away. Um, but like I said, by no means do I give up on that player. I just, I understand that that's part of the equation here. So we're going to try to work with that situation, knowing that that situation is occurring and it's try to get them through it on the other side. Um, you know, because like you said, like they're going to listen to your, to your parents. It's just, I listen to mine. And, you know, it took me, like I said, as, as a young adult in my late 20s, probably when all the playing was over and I had some time to really reflect, you know, just try to close that chapter of my life, all that hockey and put everything in its proper place. And then that's when you really realize the, the mistakes, the errors that you made. You know, I wish I had either confronted or had better, better relationships so you could have a better conversation about these things. And and kind of work through them instead of like just make a choice um, because when you choose one you kind of close the door on the other one yeah
So you talk about closing that door, and even though you weren't drafted, you did play professionally for quite some time, and you even won a championship with the Hampton Roads Admirals in the ECHL. What finally led to your decision to hang up the skates and retire from playing? Um, the, yeah, the, I, I played for a number of years, and, and like I said, not getting drafted, you know, it's, it's a big deal. I mean, if your goal is to play in the NHL, it's, it's not impossible for an undrafted player, and I admire um, players that have done that. They go undrafted, and they go to the minor leagues, and they, you don't have to just be better. You have to be much better than those other draft picks. Um, you know, those, they're, they're like gold to those, to those NHL clubs, those draft picks, and they give them every chance. You know, if you're a top three draft pick, you're going to get at least two contracts, which is six or seven years. Um, and if it's not even with the same club, it'll be with another club. And if you're a non-draft pick, it's, it's really tough to crack. So I always have had a great deal of respect for guys that are undrafted that can toil away in the minor leagues and work their way up because you have to prove it beyond a shadow of a doubt. And you have to love it because that's how much work you have to put in. And I can honestly say, like looking back, you know, being a multi-sport guy before I, you know, left home to play junior hockey, I never quite loved it. Like I, like players that I met when I was, was their teammates. Um, and then when I went on to coach, it really is a necessary piece. I mean, you have to absolutely um, love it because it takes so much of your time and effort and commitment and sacrifice and willing to address like weaknesses in your game and all that other stuff. So, um, you know, like I said, I admire those guys. But yeah, I, the last the last NHL tryout I had was with the San Jose Sharks. So I had three tryouts, and then the last one again, I I, I thought I was doing well, and I just got called into a room full of guys, and they said, hey, listen, we don't have a lot of time. Instead of giving you an individual meeting, they just had a number of us in a room, and they said, we don't have a lot of time. Um, just go downstairs and meet up with the secretary and she'll get your flight out of town. So I was like, I worked all summer and trained with the San Jose Sharks. And, um, you know, about being recruited, you know, they say a lot of things. And I fully expected to play in Kansas City that year um, and sign a contract. And then they just cut me in a room full of people. So to me, that was kind of, I was 25 years old at the time. And I've been kicking around the minor leagues for five years at that point, and I was just like, I've I've had enough. It's time to move on. So, um, I I I I put the skates away, and I was going to be a fireman back in Vancouver, a firefighter. And of course, that was they were not hiring at the time. So now I'm back living at home with my parents. I'm 25 years old. I haven't lived at home for a number of years, and. Um, I didn't know what to do with myself, but I knew I didn't want to live there. So I went down into Florida and played a couple more years in a low, low level minor leagues. But that's when I started coaching. I got involved as a player, you know, assistant coach, and I started to really enjoy the game and the mentorship and um, working with young players that wanted to achieve. So um, I kind of hung them up after that third tryout to answer your question. I, it's like that was when I stopped taking it seriously. Um, but it wasn't, clearly it wasn't out of my life for good. So when I got a chance to, to start coaching, I, I, I took the opportunity to do that and I actually started to fall in love with it. If I'm not mistaken, there was a three year gap before you started coaching after your playing career was over. And you mentioned you want to be a firefighter in Vancouver, but they weren't hiring. 
Um, would you say that this is one of your darker points in life? And if it was, what or who helped you turn your life around? Um, yeah, so I stopped playing. I went down as a player coach at a very low level. Ownership wasn't solid. Just, you know, it was tough. That team folded. And now I'm sitting here. I have, um, I'm not a player coach anymore. There's no team to play on. Play on. Um, I, I, I didn't have a degree. I didn't go to college. I wasn't ready to join the workforce. So I was taking a lot of like different jobs. I, I worked in concrete. Anybody that's worked in concrete will know. If you're working in Florida in the summertime, it's 100 degrees with the, and humidity. It's probably 110 or 115. And I wasn't even a skilled laborer. So I was digging ditches and um, you know the building the forms and pouring the concrete and dragging it across a yard like uh, the, with your come along and all this other stuff. It was grueling. I worked in a body shop. I worked in a salvage yard. I met all kinds of characters doing that stuff. Um, and I just, I did. I just, I, what am I going to do with my life? You know, so it, when the end came, I mean, it hit hard. And um, at that time, I just did a lot of soul searching. And I was raised, you know, by my mom specifically, uh, a Catholic and a Christian. And I went to a Catholic school for the, you know, up until the eighth grade. And um, it was always a big part of my life. But when you become a young person and you're playing hockey and you're playing on the weekends and you're traveling and all that stuff, it kind of wasn't at the center of my life. Um, you know, I still tried to be, do the right thing and, and have morals and principles and all that other stuff. But um, I didn't have like, a, like that, that central, I'm going to church, I'm reading the Bible, I'm... I have a relationship with God. I'm praying frequently. I just, it kind of wasn't the way for, for a few years probably. And during that time, that's, that's, that's what got me back on track. It's like, I just went and got a Bible. I said, enough of this. I cleaned myself up as far as physically, mentally. I'm reading books. Um, I'm exercising. I'm eating clean. And I'm going to church, uh, you know, every Sunday. And um, there was this one priest, this Irish priest John Caulfield Father Caulfield was his name and he was just it was like a father figure to me I'm just listening to this guy and I found myself calling the church to find out hey which mass is Father Caulfield doing um, because his sermons were like he was talking right to me I, it just like it was a great time in my life uh, you know I, I felt myself back on the rebound I felt like I could do anything and just at that time wouldn't you know it like a, a professional minor league hockey team came to town like I didn't have to go to it it came to me I went and interviewed for the coaching job they already had a coach so I had to be a player assistant coach again um, which I was happy to do because um, I want I knew I wanted to coach and everything kind of seemed like it was meant to be and a year later um, you know that team folded <laughs> but my wife worked in the front office and it was an opportunity for me to meet my future wife and um, we've been married for 23 years now and it really, you know, the way I look at it is that whole period of time of soul searching and, and cleaning up my act and, um, you know, getting back to, to my Christian um, beliefs and, and actually practicing and worshiping, um, everything good in my life came from that time. That's awesome. It's cool that you mentioned religion because uh, I was raised kind of a Catholic, but I didn't really go to church a whole lot. Um, and my dad was married before uh, to a Mormon woman. 
so the religion was kind of multi-sided. My parents didn't want to baptize me in either or because they didn't want you know me to grow up and wonder why I didn't go one way. But it's pretty cool because me and Sean kind of together have you know found our relationship with God and we're kind of going about this at, at the same time in our lives and it's cool to have someone there that supports you and uh, has the same feelings about that as well because I feel like when you're going about it alone especially when you're new into the religion aspect of life it's kind of hard so it's really cool that us together are kind of going about this at the same time yeah that is that's awesome you know congratulations on that guys and then when I you know I ended up having a coaching career in the professional ranks for 15 years and, you know, the hockey, the Christian hockey ministries, um, you know, they have this program and it's around all of professional hockey where they find, you know, willing pastors to come in and read Bible verse and, and, and get player gatherings together. And I, I attended all those as a coach. I came to as many as I could just to, to show um, the camaraderie, you know, the, the, and that, that bonding and that common belief with the other players and that support system. So, I mean, it's nothing to be ashamed of. It's really something to be proud of. And um, it's such a wholesome way of life and it keeps you grounded and it keeps you humble um, that there is a God and um, it helps you get through tough times for sure. If you, if you know that God has a plan for you, I mean, I, the rest of it really is easy. Yeah, for sure. That was a crazy story just to me, of prayers being answered. I mean, yeah. a minor league hockey team comes to your city just to fold after a year, but what you gain from that is a jump start into your career and your life. Yeah. <laughs> your life. Absolutely. That's yeah. why I tell the story. I mean, I, I believe it. And it was, it, was, I, I, it was at that time where I decided to, you know, take control of my life in that regard, you know, and, and to get back to those... Um, those core values and then everything great came from that yeah they still have that uh, fellowship of christian athletes my dad actually goes to it they have a camp in ogden utah um, i haven't been to it yet but i've heard nothing but good things and you know they they skate they have a pro college camp that goes on they skate and then they talk about you know they're they're finding god and just religion background i've heard that it's a really good time um, but kind of getting back to your story and your process getting into coaching you know, after you coached professionally for a long time, you started coaching amateurs. So what, what was the hardest part of transitioning from that? Um, I, I, I guess just like being a player. As a player, you want to get to the NHL, and then the realization that that never happened, um, you know, that's tough. So you have, you have to heal in order to move on. And then I guess the same thing with the coaching. There was... My wife and I, we, we lived, we moved and, you know, and had some success and then moved again and had success. I mean, we lived in 10 different places in 10 years. Um, you know, the sacrifices you make. And then I was with the New York Islanders in the American League for five years. So when that last, when, when they did not renew my contract in that last year, it was, it was tough. It was, it was, you know, you talk about adversity, that was tough. So I had a, um, five-year-old son you know we when we finally got to the nhl um you know working for the islanders of course it was the american league but you're working for an nhl club we put off starting a family just to have some stability before we did it and you know now he's four years old five years old and their contract is terminated and you're in free fall so there were a lot of jobs that i could have had um at, at a lower level back in the east coast league but you hope that after all that time that you've kind of gotten through 
the riptide and you're never going to get pulled back again. And you're really, when you're in the American League, you're, you're one step away from the NHL. So that was really hard to take. I, I decided to go um, to Elmira in the ECHL, which was very close geographically. So it wasn't, you know, inconveniencing the family too much. So I went and we had a great year. We set franchise records in my first year that I was there. It's the smallest market in the whole league. The, league, the team doesn't even exist anymore. Um, it was actually in bankruptcy at the time. So there was all sorts of adversity, but I was just very determined to get back to the American League or an NHL contract. And, you know, a year later, I put some feelers out and all that other kind of stuff, and it didn't happen. Um, so now I was looking for an exit plan, and Andrew Sherman had just bought in, or just bought the, uh, the rinks here, and he gave me a call. We had stayed in touch since those early days for over 20 years probably at that time, or getting pretty close to 20 years. I think it's been like 25 or so now. Um, and he said, hey, I, basically, I need a right-hand man. You know, I, I, I'm going to take over this rink and, and the clubs that are involved and everything. So to me, again, it was just the timing was great. Um, my son was six years old. I didn't want to bounce around from school to school and town to town anymore. So I've been here ever since, you know, and um, it's tough when it's tough when it ends. But and now I'm getting back to your question here. I'm sorry for rambling, but um, there's not a lot of difference. You know, you get here and you see the obstacles that you have to face and then you attack those obstacles to get the best result, you know, and it's always a people industry. You have to be good to people. You have to be authentic. Um, you, I think you have to be demanding. You have to be knowledgeable. Um, you have to be a mentor. All things that, you know, I just took the skills that I had acquired over those years and just try to apply it here. Bring some professionalism to the youth level. So, you know, the players might not have the same aptitude. So there was definitely, for me, a learning curve. What, what do you teach an 8-year-old? What do you teach a 10-year-old? What do you teach a 12-year-old? You know, what are the progressions? all that kind of stuff, the technical stuff. But aside from the technical, it's it's really um, more of the same. Garrett and I were fortunate enough to be a part of that U16 team that was your first team here at the Rantage. Um, and you definitely brought that professional style right away. It was an immediate difference. Um, so you've been such a big part of a lot of kids' development over the years. What is the most rewarding feeling for you as a coach? Well, number one is to, to sit here and be interviewed by former players, you know, and see you guys succeeding and doing so well and have that entrepreneurial spirit um, to not just be good hockey players, but that you're really good people and that you guys have formed a bond and a friendship. And, you know, if I could just have a small, um, just a small part of that. <laughs> That's what that that's probably the most fulfilling part. And not everybody's going to achieve what you guys have achieved. And and I still think you guys can go on and be professionals. But when that day ends, will you be a good, you know, citizen? Will you be a good mentor? Will you be a good father, good husband? You know, um, those are the really important things. And my, you know, my money's on you guys. We can't thank you enough for that. We uh, there's a reason that we come back every year. Um, Obviously, a lot of guys try and leave and they want to just skate with pro players and find an NHL group, but there's really a lot of intangibles here that, you know, we've had some time to reflect on and see that we have become such better people from this program and learning from you guys. It's, it's not just about hockey. It's about 
like you said, being a good person and, you know, always be on time and control what you can control because there's so many things in life that are out of our control. And that's just one thing that I know Garrett and I are so thankful for is all the great lessons that you learned from your coaches and from this game that have nothing to do with sports. Right. You talk about timing a little bit, and it's funny because when I came here, the timing of that, like if you look back, what has that been, close to nine years now, eight or nine years, I was kind of a little shit, to be honest with you. And I remember my first practice here, you kind of set me straight. And then from then on, uh, after that, I played for Coach Sherman, and he kind of set me straight. And to be honest with you, I give you guys a lot of credit for my attitude change and my whole outlook, not only on life, but in hockey. I credit a lot to my parents as well, but... If I hadn't come to the rampage at that time in my life, I really don't know that I would one still be playing hockey or what I would be doing. I don't think I would be the type of person that I am today. So I give a lot of credit to you guys and more specifically you and Coach Sherman for just kind of, you know, setting me straight and showing me what path is the right path to be on. Um, But let's jump back into, you know, coaching and stuff like that. When you were eval- evaluating a player at the youth or professional levels, what are some characteristics that you look for um, on and off the ice? Well, definitely a player has to be um, show commitment. You know, so he's got to have that fire in his belly and um, love the game and really want to be there. I mean, that that's kind of a foundation. If if somebody doesn't have that, they're just they're just kind of there. They're just kind of like it. You, you don't really know that you can help that player and that they, they are going to be high achievers in this sport. So um, you're always looking for that. Somebody that comes to the rink, they're happy to be there. They've got a smile on their face. I mean, we have fun. We, we train really hard, but we still we still, still try to have fun. I think working hard is fun. Um, it's not easy, but when you know you're doing something that not everybody can do, I think it, it creates a bond. And, um, you know, so definitely that commitment – and then another thing that's like immensely important and can't be understated is is your compete level. Like so, for a goalie, you try to stop every puck. You know, when 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 goalies, I have limited knowledge about goalie instruction. So if a goalie asks me what do I need to do, I'm like just try to stop every puck. Like compete for those pucks. You get your you get your other stuff from your goalie coach, but you know you are where you're at with your other training. Um, for this, for today's particular practice, so let's let's just compete, you know. So a player has, to me has to have tremendous compete and desire to win races and win battles and win the game. Um, you know, you're not gonna win everyone, but if you hate losing enough and you take enough pride in winning and competing, I think that plus the commitment, you know, you're gonna help that player and that player is gonna help himself reach his athletic potential. So if you have those two things, everything else kind of um, builds off of that like you know your puck skills and your hockey sense and you know your your reaction time and um you know those types of things i think if you have you know the 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 work ethic the commitment and um and the compete level you're going to reach your athletic potential so ultimately you'll be a pretty good hockey player i do have a quick funny story that kind of ties all that in together uh it was one of garrett's first showcases with us because he came in the season a little late um I think we were up in Milwaukee, maybe. We were. And we were playing against the, the Junior Blues, who were, like, number two in the country or something. They were really good. They had the uh, younger K- Kachuk brother on the team. Mm. Um, or maybe the only one. I'm not sure. One of the Kachuk brothers was on the team, and uh, we were in warm-ups. And Garrett was supposed to play, and 
we were just ringing pucks off the post and, you know, scoring a few more goals than we maybe should have. And I think some of the guys heard you on the bench like, this guy's not ready to play. He, he wasn't competing in warm-ups and you, Everything you were went fired in. up. Everything was going in. Everything so went in. I think the first shot of the game hits the post. Yep. Once again, you're I on remember. the bench. This guy's not ready to play. Yeah. So they, they score, you know, maybe a backdoor goal something. Maybe three minutes into the game. Pulled Garrett because he wasn't competing. He wasn't ready to play. It was play. a morning game. I don't he think was. he was a morning guy. <laughs> he was not a morning guy. You know what I've realized over the years, and it's funny that you guys say this, because I can't like attribute how I'm going to play in a game to my warm-ups because I remember we played at Culver Academy. Before I came here, I, when I was playing for Omaha AAA, and I swear to you, I did not let in a single goal in all of warm-ups, and I gave <laughs> up three goals on the first five shots at Culver. Yeah. So I do not attribute like how I'm going to play to my warm-ups because it, it clearly is not a reflection. Yeah. Well, that's good for me to know. I'm always learning too. So <laughs> if you let every shot in and warm up, you're probably going to have a good game. I don't know about that. <laughs> I think you probably had a good, good feeling. So obviously this is pretty, you know, this is kind of a serious topic and um, we kind of like to ask some things light. I don't know if you listen, but um, Spinning Chicklets had a story about you. Uh, and you were coaching for the Wheeling Nailers, and you called up a club player from Penn State by the name of Curtis Patrick. He claimed he sat in the stands for a few games, and you told him you'd sign him, and you never did. Uh, he then gets a phone call from the opposing team that you were going to play that night, and you guys were traveling to play them. Um, and the coach was like, hey, if you come up here, like, we'll sign you. You're going to play tonight. We need you. And he was about to get on the bus to ride up there with you, and he said that you asked one of the boosters if they could ride, if he could ride with them to the game. Um, and so he did. He rode up with the boosters, and when he got there, he said that his uh, gear and sticks were just on the sidewalk at the rink. He then went on to talk about um, how his team beat yours, and you were less uh, than happy yelling at your team on the bench. Is this all true, and what is your side of the story? Yeah, that's all true. Um... I don't listen to that podcast. I hear it's great. Um, but Tyler Shipstad over there, he, he actually shared the link, so I went to it to listen. Um, I didn't think. I was actually, like, relieved that it wasn't that bad. Maybe you guys listening thought I, I sounded like like I wasn't very nice. or I would, But I thought, okay, this guy's really not going to like me. He's going to throw me under the bus. <laughs> but the, tr the truth is, like, this Curtis Patrick... I mean, he's part of hockey royalty, his family. Like, his uncle is, is uh, um, Craig Patrick, who was the GM of the Pittsburgh Penguins at that time. And had at least two Stanley Cups under his belt. He's the guy that's in the, the, the movie Miracle, the assistant coach, that says they put the, the defenseman out there on the off wing or whatever, and they score the big goal. That was, And then his... Um, grandfather or great-grandfather I think is Lester Patrick who's a hockey trophy named after him he used to coach the Rangers he's the guy that came off the bench as the coach when they needed a goalie in the Stanley Cup playoffs and won like a quadruple over this legendary hockey family anyway so um I didn't know that our owners they were awesome guys young guys I didn't know that they had kind of concocted this call up this situation um, for this player and I didn't know that his whole family was going to be coming to the game to watch him play So they kind of mentioned it. I had to do a lot of like reflecting because this is a lot of years ago But I remember like not knowing that they set the whole thing up the owners, but then they kind of 
told me in a very casual way that he was going to be there and all that other stuff. So I said, hey, just sit in the seats, right? What he said was like, just sit in the stands and watch, and then we'll take you back on the bus. Um, I didn't know he was all upset. I didn't know that he expected to play and that he didn't go on spring break with his buddies or whatever it was in order to play. Um, and then I don't know how much time went by that we had him practice, but we had a very good team, and we were um, – we're in first place, and you, you want you want to finish in first so that you can have that home ice advantage in the playoffs. He didn't know any systems. He didn't know our forecheck. I didn't know anything about him. He didn't know anything. So he was practicing with us, and then that's, yeah, the phone call came, and the team we were playing that day um, needed players, so they, they offered him a spot. So I wasn't going to hold him back. I was actually a little bit relieved because it was a situation, you know, with Craig Patrick and the family, and I didn't have really – um, the comfort level to put him in. I probably should have, looking back, I probably should have just done it. Um, but yeah, we went up there, and I only did it to be, I thought it was the right thing. I didn't want him riding on the bus with guys that he was going to play against that night. So I, I asked the boosters like nicely to set him up. It was like a two-hour drive or whatever. And then the bag was not left on purpose. That would not be intentional. <laughs> you guys know that you, you pull up curbside, the coach just walks in, right? Yeah. I don't have any bags to take in, so I just walk in. I'm not thinking, oh, Curtis's gear is on there. Let's make sure that it comes in. So the players must have lifted up the bay doors, grabbed their own bags, fired them out on, onto the sidewalk. You grab your own bag, you walk in, and that's it. So if there's a bag sitting there, it's not like, hey, screw this guy. Yeah. It was just there. But I heard him say that I really made him mad. So he probably did play good, and I think we had a winning streak that we had lost, and um, you know, after you, the, we had like a 13-game winning streak, something like that, and we lost the night before, so we probably lost again. I have no doubt that the rest of his story is 100% accurate, but that's just kind of my side, that there was no ill intentions or whatever. It was just kind of wires crossed and, and that kind of thing, and I did, um, I did want him on our team the following year, and he did play for us the, next, the whole next year. Yeah, he mentions that, and he mentions that uh... – he had a lot of respect for you too, and I, I don't think that he thought you had any intentions. I just think that his bag sitting out there kind of he was a good dude set him off a for a guy that hardly played. I don't think he started playing hockey till he was eleven. He showed a lot of um, desire and determination under that huge like shadow that his family cast. You know, for him to be able to play professional hockey, I mean, I even think he played some games in the American League. And I heard him talking too. It's like he was not afraid either to go fight some big dummy. He he would go lead with his face but he was he was uh he was gritty you could see the bloodlines there in that regard like he was a determined guy so what's some motivation or advice that you would give a player who thinks they aren't talented enough to make it at the next level whatever age that may be well that's that's a good question um you shouldn't doubt yourself that's, that's one. I think you should just try to find um, good information. What do I need to work on? What do I need to do to get better? Um, and then work on those things. And if you don't make a team to have that growth mindset of, okay, I, I'm not good enough or I didn't make it yet. And, and that's the advice I would give. It's like when, when you th already think you're, you're, you're not good enough, well, you're lost, you know. Um, so you start with that healthy mindset. What do I need to do? So now it's more of a positive thing and, um, you work on those things and 
if you like I said, if you don't make it, well, I'm not there yet. Not there yet. And it runs its course for everybody. You know, I hope you guys both play in the NHL. Um, that window is still open for both of you guys. So you do everything in your power during this window, if that's your goal, to do that. And you're going to come across coaches and trainers and people, um, players and um, veterans and stuff that you can learn something from and you can add another layer to your game. And in the end, if you get there, awesome, you achieve your goal. And if you don't, you can move on to that next chapter of your life knowing that you did everything possible because you had that, that mentality, you know. So that's what I would say. It's just really about a growth mindset. You take it as far as you can and um, you'll, you'll, you won't have to struggle like some of us struggle when it's over. When you hit the end of the line with your hockey playing, you'll know, you'll have that sense of satisfaction that you did everything in your power and then you can move on um, and attack that next part of your life. Yeah, you definitely have to bet on yourself because one of the other things that I really learned here is not to compare yourself to other people. Like when we were playing U18 AAA, there were guys who were already drafted that were the same age as us. And then when you were playing junior hockey, there's guys the same age as you that were playing in the NHL. So everyone has a different path. And that's really the goal of the podcast too, is to show that everyone has a path and everyone gets through adversity in their own way. But like you said, learn from everyone and pick up the pieces as you can. Yeah, life is tough. And knowing that, knowing already that it's going to be tough is already makes it just a little bit easier to, to tolerate the tough times, you know? It's like, okay, well, been here before, you know? And I like what you say, bet on yourself. Like, that's, you should get a tattoo on your arm, bet on myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can't thank you enough for coming on, Coach Pat. This has been an unbelievable interview. We, uh, it's been good to kind of get to know you more on a personal level because obviously we've known you as a coach and we don't really get to have these deeper conversations, but it's been a pleasure to have you on, and we can't thank you enough. Yeah, no, it's been my pleasure. I almost said no, you know, like when you guys asked me, I was, I, because some of this stuff, you know, I've gone through all the, you know, my struggles that I that I talked about today. Like I've, I, I've gone through that whole process, um, but I'm 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 kind of a private person that likes to keep all that to myself. But I thought about it, it's like man, these guys are doing something good here, you know? And if you can share that and connect with people, like on a personal level, like I was a young person too, I can relate, you know, I, I don't always have that hat on, right? Like I'm coach, so it's we're not talking like that, but um, I had my struggles just like everybody else, and I thought it'd be good to share some of those and um, so people don't feel like they're alone. These, these are, this is the path, this is life, you know? But there are ways to get through it, you know, um, and come out a better person and growth and um, happier. And there's good things, too. Like, there's there's some joy in life and there's some pain, right? But um, if you're, if you're, to me, if you're, like, ready for some of that pain and know that it's temporary, uh, it makes it more tolerable.